It's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August 3rd, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. This week I was having an online discussion about data and backup, and I said any data that is in just one location doesn't exist. There were some questions asked, off-list, politely. You see, in English, data has come to be a singular plural, like deer or fish. But that wasn't the point. That wasn't what the questions were about. Nobody questioned the singular data, so you should consider that just a red herring thrown in for no apparent reason. The real question was why, and the answer is that bad things can happen to good data. And, by the way, that last one was a plural, data. That got me to thinking about Firesign Theater, 1969. How can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all? Los Angeles, he walks again by night. Out of the fog, into the smog. Relentlessly, ruthlessly. I wonder where Ruth is. Doggedly, always weekly meeting with the unknown. At 4th and Drucker, he turns left. At Drucker and 4th, he turns right. He crosses MacArthur Park and walks into a great sandstone building. Oh, my nose! Groping for the door, he steps inside. Climbs the 13 steps to his office. He walks in. He's ready for mystery. He's ready for excitement. He's ready for anything. He's... Nick Danger, third eye. I want to order a a pizza to go and no anchovies. No anchovies? You've got the wrong man. I spell my name, Danger. What? If you were a Firesign Theater fan back in the 1960s and early 1970s, that probably brought back a few memories. But to return to backup, have you ever used an existing document as the basis for a new document, and then, without thinking about it, saved the new document over the old file name? Goodbye, old file, unless you have backup. I've done that, and I had backup. Have you ever formatted one of two disk drives in a machine, thinking you're formatting the C drive and accidentally pointing the format gun at the head of the D drive? That's, of course, the one with all your data, time billing records, photos, and music. It's embarrassing to admit, but I've done that, too. The only recovery, thankfully, was backup. Ever have a machine just die? Been there, done that, recovered the data. So far I've been lucky. I haven't had a computer stolen, but we did have a network-spreading virus worm years ago. That's when the I Love You messages circulated. May 4th, 2000. The message appeared to have come from someone at WTVN. We've all become smarter since then, and we've instituted far more safeguards. But backup saved that day. A lot of people I know lost every JPEG on their computer because that particular virus overwrote, among others, all JPEGs, Visual Basic, JavaScript, Cascading Style Sheet, and Word document files. Backup is important because files exist on fragile magnetic or optical media. The more copies you have, the less likely it will be that you'll lose something really important. Now, here's something I'm still trying to figure out how it could happen. A bunch of guys, and I'm using the generic guys here, it includes women, leave the Uber search engine Google 
and set up their own search engine. They call it cool, C-U-I-L, pronounced cool. They say it's an old Irish word for knowledge. Not being an old Irish guy, I wouldn't know. But I wonder how Google could have let some of its top talent walk out the door and set up a competing service. I mean, have these guys never heard of non-compete clauses? Or maybe they just take that not evil thing seriously. Or, third option, they know cool is destined to flop. Cool was so busy the first day that it wasn't able to handle all the traffic. When I logged in, tried to do a search, it told me there were no results available because of a high load. So right off the bat, the service earned a couple of demerits for bad planning. It did come back to life later, so I gave it a try. Cool's developers call it the world's biggest search engine, but it comes up empty a lot of times. I wondered what they meant by world's biggest search engine. They politely answered that question. They say the Internet has grown exponentially in the last 15 years, but search engines have not kept up until now. Cool searches more pages on the web, they say, than anyone else. Three times as many as Google, ten times as many as Microsoft. So Cool claims to have indexed more than 120 billion pages so far. I hear an echo of Carl Sagan. Okay, so it's ego search time. I search for Blinn. It shows me Blinn College, Jim Blinn, Blinn Communications, right there on the main page. Okay, and that's pretty cool. How about TechBiter? Well, there are links to the TechBiter website and to sites that have quoted me. Adobe, SysInternals, TechTimes, and a few others. All right, Copy Editing L, discussion group for editors. Bingo! It's got that group's website and links to lots of sites that reference it. I'm beginning to be impressed a bit, but not with the business plan. This seems to me to be an excellent way to turn a large fortune into a small fortune. The search engine business is mature, and it is unlikely that Cool will dethrone Google the way that Google dethroned AltaVista. Remember them? Now, my tests were conducted on July 30th, just a few days after the Cool launch. The first day's tests weren't so good because a lot of search terms that should have turned up something resulted in no matches. Various other searches for more obscure targets produced either no hits or totally unrelated hits. Cool does have an interesting philosophy, though. I quote, Privacy is a hot topic these days, and we want you to feel totally comfortable using our service, so our privacy policy is very simple. When you search with Cool, we do not collect any personally identifiable information, period. We have no idea who sends queries, not by name, not by IP address, and not by cookies. Your search history is your business, not ours. Nice. With that kind of philosophy, though, it's going to be extremely hard to monetize this operation. Well, that's just a first glance. We'll see how cool cool turns out to be. So far, the reviews, including this one, have been lukewarm at best. Did you ever wonder if you were under FBI surveillance? You might be. I can say that as one who has obtained his FBI jacket by filing a Freedom of Information Act. I did that back in the day when the government actually considered complying with the FOIA. What I received was a highly redacted copy of the FBI file that detailed the Bureau's activities in my regard. For example, talked to name blanked out, who said words blanked out. Real useful stuff. All the places, dates, and names had been removed. Well, the final analysis on the FBI report was about all that remained. 
In a single sentence, the FBI had concluded that I was not a threat to national security. Well, that was 30 years ago. So I was a bit amused when I received a spam message from Avalon at svkuh.cz. That's the Czech Republic. The message said, FBI can watch our conversation through Facebook. (laughs) So I suspected immediately that this was fraudulent because native English speakers would place a definite article in front of FBI. We call it the FBI. And would probably omit the periods. By the way, a closed-circuit message here to Avalon. If you want to sound like an American, make it the FBI can watch our conversation through Facebook. I still think you're full of fecal matter, but at least it would make you sound a bit more like an American. There was a link. The link went to smartnewsradio.com, which I posit is an oxymoron. But I first wanted to find out what Smart News Radio was. I found that it is registered to a writ bush with an obfuscated email address and a phone number with a 101 area code, which doesn't exist, a post office box in New York City with a zip code that actually goes to Bessemer, Pennsylvania. You know, it's easy enough to come up with a legitimate-sounding address, one that doesn't wave red flags. And what would I get if I visited smartnewsradio.com? Well, I wouldn't get what the message promised, a report that the FBI is watching Hezbollah in Facebook. I would instead find that my browser was attempting to launch an executable program that would try to take over my computer and turn it into a zombie. Needless to say, I didn't follow the link. Actually, it seems that these spammer scammers have hired people who used to work for the National Enquirer, or perhaps for Fox News. In the past week, I have received spams with these ludicrous subject lines. Breaking news. Aliens landed in Ohio. Watch the video. Brittany strikes again. Smiley face. Watch. Watch the video. Angelina Jolie. Naked video. Watch the video. Hilarious gayest acts. Cute ducklings following in a line behind Mother Ducky Cute. Britney Spears and Paris Hilton are lovers. Video proof. Watch the video. Information. Interracial marriages. Video. More info. Wow. Why do I feel like we have regressed to 1950 with that one? Justin Timberlake. Gay video. Watch the video. Special issue of news from CNBC. Urgent shocking news. Usama Ben Laden. Okay, could you at least spell the name right? It's Bin Laden, not Ben Laden. Special issue of news from Bloomberg. Urgent, dangerous news. Osama Bin Laden. Hey, they spelled it right that time. You won Infinity FX45. Watch the video to claim it. Watch the video. Watch yourself in this video, man. Smiley face. What a jerk you are, really. Watch the video. Okay, these go on and on and on. What's the common link here? Watch the video. What are you going to get if you watch the video? You're not going to get a video. You're going to get a zombie machine. Somehow I get the feeling that the only people who would be fooled by any of these are people who are incapable of thinking. Sadly, that seems to be a fairly large number of people these days. In nerdly news, perhaps you have heard of Scrabulous, or maybe not. I know a lot of people enjoyed the Scrabble-like game that was part of Facebook until Hasbro filed suit and Facebook caved. No matter that the knockoff Indian version was far better than Hasbro's lame online version, I'm one of the people who feels that it is worthwhile to protect intellectual property. But this case just might be enough to make me reconsider that. Hasbro hasn't been able to create a decent online version of its game, and its response when a couple of guys from India created a better one was to sue. Might they not have just purchased the rights to it? 
So I get it. Hasbro bought the rights to Scrabble. But these guys in India, who created Scrabulous in 2005, had a better idea, and they implemented it. I can't help but think that if today's IP laws had existed in the 1960s, we'd still all be driving cars with drum brakes. Disc brakes, a way to stop a car, would have been considered an infringement of drum brakes. The IP rights have to be tempered with common sense. If somebody comes up with a better way of doing things, how can that infringe on the original? And this week, an Italian broadcaster sued YouTube. Mediaset says that Google and its video-sharing site YouTube illegally used its material. The fitting judgment, says Mediaset, is 500 million euros. Mediaset is one of the operations owned by Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi. How can the Prime Minister be allowed to continue to oversee the daily operations of the nation's largest media outlet? According to YouTube, the company, and I quote, respects the copyright holders and takes copyright issues very seriously. We prohibit users from uploading infringing material, and we cooperate with all copyright holders to identify and promptly remove infringing content as soon as we are officially notified. Mediaset isn't alone, though. Viacom, the English Premier League, the Scottish Premier League, the Tennis Federation of France, Cherry Lane Music and Merbo Music Publishing, France's TF1 and Spain's Telecinio have all piled on filing suit. Good news from Apple for techies means bad news for stockbrokers. John Bordeaux of the San Jose Mercury News, that's the closest thing Apple has to a hometown newspaper, says that he sees signs that Apple will introduce some surprising new technologies in the coming year. When Apple announced last week that it anticipated higher development costs in the coming months, analysts cringed and the stock dropped, but the techies rejoiced. Such a message often means that new products are coming from the company. Apple's stock has been hammered recently because there have been questions about the health of CEO Steve Jobs. This is a typical, silly, short-sighted Wall Street claptrap. Do the geniuses on Wall Street actually think that only Steve Jobs can guide Apple? Certainly, he's been a big part of the company, but one would hope that he has groomed someone who could be a successor when that time comes. You know, I have a feeling that had Shakespeare been writing today, he would have written, first kill all the stockbrokers instead of first kill all the lawyers. But perhaps I digress. Apple's chief financial officer, Peter Oppenheimer, spoke with analysts this week, told them to expect gross margins to drop from 35% to just 30% in 2009. Now, anywhere in the world but on Wall Street, a 30% profit margin would be met with glee. Oppenheimer's message was a bit opaque. He said that Apple will be delivering state-of-the-art products at price points that our competitors can't match. Now, in plain English, that probably means something. In Wall Street jargon, it was translated to mean tank the stock. Translated again, it means Wall Street is inhabited by short-sighted morons. Am I a little surly today? Surly to bed, surly to rise, you know. Thanks for listening. This has been Tech Biter Worldwide for the week of August 3, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website. That's www.techbiter.com. And if you like, you can send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.